This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hello, I'm Ilani Wilson. I'm a bookseller at Barnes & Noble. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Yana Kasali. Her first and debut novel was The Girl Who Never Read Noam Chomsky, which came out in 2018. And her latest is How to Fall Out of Love Madly. Yana, thank you so much for joining us here today. Of course, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, guys. And you are a new mother. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> thank you. I know. I didn't time this well because my baby's only two months old. <laughs> I have a book coming out. But, you know, I'm, I'm rolling with it. I'm just <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> How is being a mom so far? It's great. I really love it. Um, <laughs> I know. I wish I wore bad. I know you can't really say, oh, it's, it's awful. I hate it. But <laughs> well, I feel like actually people expect that of you because it's like, it just sounds like, I don't know, maybe a little braggadocious. Like, it's wonderful. It's great. I just love my life. It's so much fun. Hashtag blessed. Like, <laughs> 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 you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but I do love being a mom. It's um, you know, a totally new world and it's exhausting and it's certainly relentless, you know, and baby clothes. I mean, what beats that? Like <laughs> getting to buy baby clothes nonstop. I'm, you know, it's heaven. <laughs> Do you have plans to tour for this book? I don't as of right now. And I don't think I will. I mean, they haven't, I mentioned that probably I'm like, I don't want to do anything to hurt the book's chances, but I, you know, would rather not. <laughs> Okay. I don't think I Understandable. Will. Oh, You've got a, a fresh child at home. So <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You know. I would like to set the mood a little bit for our listeners with the poem that comes right after your dedication hey, page. Yeah. <laughs> and it's called To the To the Woman Crying Uncontrollably in the Next Doll by Kim Adonisio. If you ever woke in your dress at 4 a.m., ever closed your legs to a man you loved, opened them for one you didn't, moved against a pillow in the dark, stood miserably on a beach, seaweed clinging to your ankles, paid good money for a bad haircut, backed away from a mirror that wanted to kill you, bled into the back seat for a lack of a tampon. If you swam across a river under rain, stayed up to watch the moon eat the sun, entire ripped out the stitches in your heart because why not if you think nothing and no one can listen I love you joy is coming so <laughs> I know it makes me want to cry <laughs> wow so I was not familiar with Kim's poetry um, yeah. until this <laughs> so thank you she's amazing yeah but this choice in poetry to kind of start your book. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think I actually came across that poem after I had written a good amount of the book. I just responded to exactly the same way I just did right now, which is like <laughs> wanting to cry and feeling like, I mean, that's what poetry does, right? It does something kind of unspeakable. That's what's so amazing about poems. A good poem touches on the indescribable. And that's what this poem does. But I think it really hits home to a, t a type of feeling in womanhood. And especially... Um, that feeling of loneliness, which I think is such a big part of what I write about in general. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always hope with my books to make women feel more connected to themselves, to each other, um, and to feel a little less lonely, because I think a lot of times as women, we do feel very lonely. Um, and uh, we feel like our suffering is our own, and we kind of keep it to ourselves. 
Um, so I think this poem speaks perfectly to that. And I also just let like last line of the joy is coming. Like I just, that like kills me to death. And I thought it's so perfect to, you know, have that poem end there. And then you flip the page and the next chapter is titled joy. <laughs> you know? Like I was like, so good. So good. I know I felt like I got it. Like, <laughs> yes, that moment. <laughs> A little writer win for me, my like nerdy writer way, but yeah, no, I love that poem. Yes. So, you know, how to fall out of love madly. Can you give us a little summary about what this book is about? This book is about three women told from the perspective of three women. Um, and each of them are um, admirable and brilliant and uh, strong and kind and caring and wonderful. And they have all these great qualities and are able to assert themselves in their lives in so many ways. But when it comes to the men that they love, they just are not able to, to do that. <laughs> and they're not able to stand up for themselves. Um, and so that really is kind of the theme of the book, which is um, why as women do we struggle so often to be our truest self in our relationship where we really should. So the book starts with Joy and Annie, and they're looking for a new roommate. So they put out an ad and they eventually decide on Theo. There's instant, <laughs> instant connection on Joy's end with Theo. Right. Um, but, you know, they all get along really well and they have this, this great roommate dynamic. And I feel like from the perspectives we did, Annie and Joy to begin with. And then we meet Celine. And at first I was like, wait. Why does Celine get a storyline? <laughs> I, I was so upset. <laughs> which, which, Celine... I love, can I just say I love you for that? <laughs> <laughs> so, for for those who don't know just yet, so Celine eventually is introduced to the roommates as um, Theo's girlfriend, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Where did she come from? Right. Why these three women? Why was this the story? You know, what's kind of funny is when I, before I wrote the book, I kind of had this idea that I had these two ideas for a book. One is this girl who's very in love with her roommate. Um, and one was this story of a girl who's in a terrible relationship, but she, you know, finds out that her boss is being accused of misconduct and she fights really hard for the women in her workplace um, but she isn't able to kind of like have that kind of fervor for herself and her own well-being in, at home. Um, and I thought those were like two novels. Like, <laughs> But as I started writing, I thought it worked really well and really nicely together. Um, and I felt as I, you know, I think the book is quite character driven. And I think the joy and the Annie kind of dynamic really works well. And I loved that. I think when I decided to have the two of them together was when I had this vision of this scene at the end of the book where they are confronting each other. I just loved the idea of two very good girlfriends full on confronting each other about the men in their lives, which I think is something that probably for a good reason we don't do. <laughs> we don't do very much. It's kind of a fantasy moment in a way. Yeah. Um, but that was the moment for me as a writer where I was like, you know, it'd be great to kind of just like combine these two stories. And then as far as Celine goes, Celine was like a character I had thought of, and I'm not a character-driven writer, funnily mm -hmm. enough. I typically am more theme-driven in the sense that I will, I have things I'm obsessed with, and then something will happen and in my life, or I'll hear about something, it'll spark an idea, and I'll be like, wow, that really relates to the thing I'm obsessed with. But with Celine, I just always thought about being in the shoes of a woman, because Celine is this character who's supposed to be like 
outstandingly gorgeous, sort of unhumanly, <laughs> humanly gorgeous mm-hmm. to just kind of talk about that and body image issues from a perspective of someone like that. And, and I and I think her storyline, what I love about it is especially the fact that Joy's, you know, I that moment with Theo <laughs> where, um, you know, Celine asks Theo about how he feels about Joy and she he just brushingly says she's ugly. That was another moment for me as a writer that like I really wanted to write that moment of a man who had clearly cared very deeply about this person, was willing to forge this relationship with this person and and um, foster it. And yet in like a moment of stress in any situation, he's willing to just rip her down to like she's ugly at the drop of a hat. I wanted to have another woman hear that, see that and just be like, I'm done with you. <laughs> so that was kind of also why I wondered there. The little moments is what kind of drove me to think about intertwining all those stories. To be clear, I ended up loving Celine. I, <laughs> I have no. Yeah, I'm no glad. I'm glad. <laughs> My initial reaction, yes, but no, I, I definitely ended up really, really enjoying her character. There are just so many themes that you address in this book that I feel like women of all ages can relate to, and millennials specifically. I don't know if it's right. because you know this is. We're in the third, we're in our thirties. We're going through these experiences. These are very relevant um, times that we're going through. And even if I can't relate to every situation, it's like, oh wait, but there there was that one time that (laughs) that, that definitely happened. Speaking of the friendship between Annie and Joy and, you know, them deciding to live together where whether you have experienced it or not, women, I feel like no, um, that whole don't live with your best friend because you might not be best friends at the end. Right. And and there's Annie and Joy go from living together to not living together. But then there's a temporary reunion at the end. And I'm curious what your reasoning was for not kind of making it more like a permanent situation. Why was it that she- That's a great question. I'm really, (laughs) I'm wild right now. So- (laughs) You know what? I think I actually have a good answer to this question, which is that, yeah, I wanted to bring them back together for a moment and have them have that nice kind of like connection. But I also wanted to honor the things that they wanted. And I think for Annie, she really wanted a committed relationship. But we see that kind of like happy ending, beginnings of a happy ending for Annie. And with Joy, I really thought it was important she be completely independent at the end of the book, especially because. So much of what is her story arc is about kind of this domestic hellscape of her own making (laughs) where she's just becoming like this kind of pseudo wife figure uh, for Theo. Um, I thought it was important she have a home that was really hers and hers alone here. And also what you said about like the millennial aspect. I mean, to me, the setting, I mean, if you notice, like the book is set in a city mostly, but like I never specify what city it is. So to me, the setting of the book, in a sense, is like millennials in their 30s not having money <laughs> which is like what all of us have to deal with you know like we okay. are a very different generation than our parents generation in the sense that we're not m- most of us are not able to just buy homes in our late 20s and early 30s um many of us are living especially if you live in an urban area are living with roommates um well into our 30s and or later you know and struggling to make ends meet paying student loans and it's just a very different kind of movement into adulthood than their parents had. You know, I think all the characters ache to be responsible and independent. 
and like really can't because they just can't afford to financially. You know, it's just that simple. Regardless of which city you're talking about, if you've had that experience living in a big city, you can relate to the, you know, like you want to be there. You want to be where the things are happening. Right. But you probably have to have roommates to do it. (laughs) Probably are sacrificing a little bit to get there. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So Joy had a conversation or with her mom or she was just like reflecting on her mom, you know, in her 30s, she had a house, she had a a family, she had a good job, she had a home. And that's not necessarily the reality for a lot of people right now. Right. There's this pressure to kind of do that. (laughs) Right. The pressure still exists. And it's also a biological pressure for women, right? Because even Mm -hmm. though our society has changed a lot and most people aren't as financially independent as their parents were. It's expensive to have a family, obviously, and it's not realistic if you're living with roommates to, you know, have children necessarily for for a lot of people. So the weird thing is I feel people warn you about different ages as you age, right? Like everybody's like puberty. Puberty is going to ruin your life. It's the worst thing ever. And then early 20s, you're like, you'll be lost. I feel like no one warns you about your 30s, but I think your 30s are actually very hard because I do think it's like, okay, the game is over. You have to have all this stuff together. You got to get the career together. You got to get the home. You got to have the, the the partner and the family. Like it just all of a sudden starts to hit you. And for a woman, of course, there's also, if you have an interest in having children, there's the pressure of time ticking away. And yeah, it's kind of horrible. <laughs> so that's why I really wanted to set it at that transition from like 29 to 30, where you finally like realize like, oh my God, like it's over, you know? <laughs> yeah. Another one of the themes that we talk about is body issues and image and kind of self-esteem. And I think all three of the women have different ways that they approach these things. Um, So with Joy in the beginning, you know, we're talking about she first thing is she hates her stomach and she eventually has a very deep conversation with her stomach where it's like, you know, been there. 3 a.m. I'm hungry. No, we're not eating. We're going to (laughs) wait for a realistic time to eat. But that is one of her struggles and kind of plays into her, her self-esteem and Celine, who is this gorgeous girl and she knows it, but she doesn't know it. Right. It's like, she knows she's different, but at the same time, I think so many of her actions are based on reassurance from others. I agree. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so true. I mean, I was like writing about body image issues, but for my first book, I had a chapter where the character tries on a bathing suit. And that chapter, which like I purposely, I added that later, like it wasn't in the original. And I'm telling you every single review, every single person I talked to talked to me about that bathing suit chapter. Because <laughs> every woman was like, I so related to how horrible that was trying on the bathing suits. Like I love that. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's like a deep need to talk about these, you know, body image insecurities because it actually, I think I, when I was writing it for the first book, I worried that, will this make the book seem kind of frivolous? Like, is this important? But really... It is because it's such a, like a deep wound for women. Um, and it's like, uh, there's a de- I think there's a level of shame with it. I think women so, so strongly base our self-worth off the approval of looking good and feeling like we're desired or wanted, needed. Um, and that, of course, is tied very closely to how we look. That's the message we get from a very young age. And so I purposefully for each woman, like I introduced them through whatever body image issue they, <laughs> they have. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't describe them beside that. Like you don't know anything else about how they look, yeah. um, not even hair, eye color, nothing. It's just their age and their insecurity. And that's it. Because I think that these things really define us. It's, it's horrible, you know? 
Um, but they do. Um, and yeah, Celine, she's like insecure about like everything. I think there's a line of her being like, you know, when you're close to perfect, it's easier to obsess about perfect because I do. <laughs> I think, I think that that's really true for her that she is so beautiful. And yeah, exactly what you're saying at the same time, constantly wanting that confirmation. Cause she's, she knows, I think it's like, she knows the power that she wields with that in a lot of ways, um, in her life that she doesn't really want to lose ever. Yeah. So even just kind of bringing those two up, what would you say Annie's take is on her image? Because I'm not sure she was as concerned about it. I think with Annie, I mean, Annie's insecurity is her breasts. She thinks her breasts are like strange looking essentially. <laughs> and it bothers her and she l- tries to avoid ever having to be without a bra, basically, even in relationships. I don't know. I think she probably is just as defined by it. However, I think her life is not as defined by it. Like Joy is a person who, you know, at the beginning of the book, we, we find out that she's never been in love, even though she's going to be 30. Mm-hmm. And... um that is obviously something in her life that really upsets her, even though she doesn't really admit that to herself until later into the book. Um, Annie is not that person. She has had serious relationships. She's in a serious relationship. And yet she's also not Celine, who's like constantly <laughs> dealing with her looks on the, all right. the time. You know, it probably just is like a happenstance of her life to some degree. Yeah, there's a big element of luck in the book. You know, I'm kind of obsessed with luck and <laughs> thinking about um, the ways, you know, that life kind of unfolds and kind of things happen or don't happen and you don't have as much control over it as you think. And I think the book, you know, really talks about that. And so in a sense, Annie's being a little less insecure is kind of luck that she she just happened to be someone that is maybe just not quite attractive enough to constantly be obsessed with her looks, but also is in a situation where she's meeting men and having, you know, serious relationships. So I think that kind of also may have something to do with their mothers. And I feel like with women, it's also, there's that connection. We we have these relationships with our mothers. Sometimes they're strange. Sometimes they're their best friend. It's, it's It can be a very complicated thing. And I think that each girl's mother has, they have a different type of relationship and a different right. dynamic. And I think it's really interesting. And I'm curious, why did you feel the need to mention them at all? Because they weren't huge parts of the story. Right. But. right. Yeah, exactly. It's not really like a mother-daughter kind of like um, story about their dynamic. That it, For the same reason that, like, I felt to introduce the characters, like, I don't typically love, like, giving, like, a lot of backstory. That's not my thing as a writer. I don't go into a lot of details about someone's, um, like I said, their looks, the setting, the, that those kind of things. I just don't do well. They don't interest me as a writer. So I try to think of ways that I can very quickly give a reader the identity of the character. And mm-hmm. to me, their mother, them and their mother's relationship is like a way to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get at, at, the, at every introduction, basically we're getting, you know, that relationship moment um, between the character and their mom. And I thought that that just says so much without really saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it like brings you in, you like, no, okay, this is what this person is about. Because I do think, yeah, mother and daughter relationships are so defining in our lives. And it, it, it really, really it becomes such a big part of your identity. And so, yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to give that to the reader right away. And even for Joy, you know, her mom saying, Jenny Craig, maybe. And right. That, she keeps it in the back of her mind. And I, there is no one who can hurt your feelings like your mother. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's an art. <laughs> and and I think it's really interesting because also the approach to relationships. I think a lot of the times women will either 
mimic what they right. see their mom doing right. or maybe do the exact opposite. Um, right. Do you think there's any truth to that where it's like, yeah, yes. What you see growing? <laughs> yeah. I think absolutely. I think we're so affected by, and I even think like body image. I mean, I think most of us have some memory and I think usually it's pretty like a deep set memory of our moms, like dieting or talking about something about their body they didn't like, or not wanting to wear a swimsuit this season for some reason or another. That kind of stuff affects you as a child, even though you don't really think about it necessarily, you know, especially if it's not like a major part of the relationship between you and your mom, but it's just something in passing. When I'm saying body image issues, I connect that very closely to relationships women have with men, because I think it all falls under the same umbrella of wanting approval, wanting to be desired, wanted, needed. And so absolutely, I, I think it's it's so paramount in how we think of ourselves and act. It's yeah. really sad is what it is. It, it really is. <laughs> it doesn't end. It's so, <laughs> you know. I think nothing was sadder than the, <laughs> you had a, a line about, you know, I, I think it was Annie looking in the mirror. It could have been Joy looking in the mirror and the thought about, you know, thinking she's unique, but she looks like her mother. Her mother looks right. like yes, her, yeah. her yes. grandmother. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's like, I'm not even, I'm not even an original. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, sometimes I will like from my own experience, I'll like catch a glimpse of my face and I'm like, oh my God, exactly like my mom. And it's like so bizarre almost. Yeah. You really kind of don't have that, <laughs> that identity. I mean, that's like kind of the idea too, just like things being out of your control once again, like these forces kind of acting on you instead of you acting on them. I think we really probably a bit of American thinking too, that we have so much control and that so many, you know, we have the power to decide our future and, and, and be what we want to be. And I think anytime you can be reminded that like maybe there's all these things at play that really have nothing to do with you and you really yeah. don't have that say, it's kind of just overwhelming. It's probably best not to think too hard about it. <laughs> Seriously. I did way too much thinking reading this book. <laughs> Another one of the things that, you know, we're all kind of, we all have it as a job or our work situation. And I think these three girls, again, it's a different dynamic for each of them. You know, we don't hear as much about Joy's work situation right. because she's so absorbed into Theo. Like that right. is, that's all she cares about. That's her world. Right. <laughs> And we know she works in HR. We, and I think we find out later she's actually really good at her job when she has right. a conversation where Annie needs her advice. And it's like, well, who knew? But <laughs> Because you don't talk about it. But she's actually very good at her job. Yeah. And, and then Annie works for a radio station and she loves her job. And right. it, it's she has the situation with her boss where she ultimately has to make a decision. We also have Celine <laughs> who right. works in wellness. <laughs> and. I'm honestly not really sure how Celine feels about her job. I think she does it and she's good at it because she right. kind of gets the image of it. Exactly. Um, yeah. But I think the, the the work situation is always such an important part of who we are to an extent. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree. And I, I probably, honestly, if I like rewrote the book, I probably would add like another scene with <laughs> somebody who's like, you have to add a chapter to the book, like somehow. They stop production. The book's not coming out August 2nd. Like, <laughs> like actually, we're going to do one quick little ride of that. Yeah. Like a sweet but forceful letter from my editor. Um, <laughs> it would probably be to add like a, a, you know, a scene with Joy at work more, you know, because I do think it's interesting that she works in HR. 
um, and that she is great at her job and, you know, loves her job, even though it's kind of like one of those jobs that like maybe, you know, you're not when you're 13 dreaming to do. (laughs) And that was like something else that I think is kind of in the background of the book is like talking about aspirations, because I think, you know, our parents gave us the message of like, follow your dreams, you know, um, what is it you love? That's what you should do professionally. Mm-hmm. And realistically, like, realistically, that's not like always the best advice. Like, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes works out, sometimes doesn't. A lot of the jobs that people love and want to do aren't necessarily that enjoyable because there's such a slog. There's so much competition. You get paid so little. I mean, your dream could be to just have a nice beach house, like <laughs> part of your dream for life. But you're not, you know what I mean? So you might want a job that would facilitate that. Maybe that's not your dream, but the nice dream is enjoying your beach house, you know? <laughs> so, so I wanted to talk about that because like Annie, she has aspirations to be a writer at the end. She gives up on that mm-hmm. and she's lucky enough to still get kind of like a romantic job, right? Working in radio. And so I think that defines so much about her is that people admire her job and she's very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, with Celine, I think she's just one of these people that, again, is just so attractive that that's like kind of why she has the job right. they want people working there who are beautiful and she is beautiful. And so she got hired there. Yeah. And I think she's very aware of that. In some ways, she to me is like the most tragic character in the book. She's like the least defined for herself. She really struggles with boundaries for herself um, and kind of knowing what she wants and where she's going. It kind of seems like for, for Celine, a lot of her decisions in life have been based on the validation she's received. You know, she's the one exactly. that we get like the most of her history with like her boyfriends and kind of who right. she actually liked. And then the experiences that kind of just happened and she just went with it. Right. And even with Theo, I think it was kind of like, you know, they had this connection. Maybe uh, he was a right. nice enough guy. <laughs> he was a nice little guy. Yes. She's like, okay, this exactly. will do. But- exactly. Yeah. No, there's like a lot of talk on her on like dating apps and just mm-hmm. looking for that, like instant approval. And yeah, she likes Theo fine, but she isn't like in love with him. She just feels, I think for her, being single equals not feeling good about herself. Right. So she finds relationships, moves into relationships, finds approval from men because if she doesn't have that approval, she's not feeling fulfilled, you know, mm-hmm. at all. You've got a BFA in fiction uh, from Emerson College and an MST, which I had to look up. I was like master of studies, which <laughs> is essentially a master of arts. Um, right. From Oxford. Yeah. And- it's basically an MFA, but they don't call it MFA over there because like Oxford does everything different. I, w- I wish they would just call it an MFA mm-hmm. so that like it would make my life easier <laughs> anyway <laughs> but you've got this and that's that degree is in creative writing you've got this extensive right. experience and I'm curious did you know that you always wanted to be a writer I kind of did I've I wanted to be a writer from the time I was like 10 years old I had a fourth grade teacher I mean you know how it is like your elementary school teachers are so fundamental in defining yourself you know it's like it's almost like ridiculous how much power they have over you, good and bad, you know? So that's why having a great teacher can mean so much. But I had this great fourth grade teacher um, and he had this assignment where we all like wrote into these journals in class and you could write whatever you wanted. You could write stories, you could write about yourself, whatever. And then he would go while we were at recess and kind of look through them. Like you come in from recess and they'd be up on the um, overhead projector. I don't know. Do kids have those anywhere? Probably not. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes dinosaur things last forever. But it would be up there. And usually it was up there as like a critique. And I came in and my story was up there and I like died inside. I felt horrible. Like I was so worried about what people, you know, because I just thought like usually he would talk about grammar and spelling out of it. 
but he had everybody read it and he's like, well, tell me what you think of it. And like the kids were all like, there's, this is misspelled. <laughs> there should be this. And, and he was like, isn't this beautiful? Like something like that, he said. And that literally changed my life, you know? And he completely fostered my interest as uh, being a writer. He just basically okay. told me that I was talented at it, which yeah. is so important when you're when you're a kid. So sure. yeah, that, <laughs> that moment is like defined my entire life, obviously. Yeah. But no, I, I, I wanted it from then on and I just kept going. <laughs> yes. That's, no, teachers, yes. Shout out to teachers. Yeah, <laughs> but that's also such funny. a very relatable, deep memory about having your story shared in front of the class. <laughs> it's like a, a level of embarrassment that I'm like, I don't know if they're trying to do this, but they do. Every time. I know. know. It's so true. So mortifying. It's kind of still like that. You know what? It's the exact same feeling when people say to you, like you meet someone on the street and they like ask you what you do for a living, which is like the worst thing to be like, I'm a writer. You never know what people are thinking. They're like, sure you are. (laughs) I always think they think. Then if they ask you the title of your book, it doesn't matter what the title of your book is. They always have the same reaction, which is like confusion, a little like distaste of it. Like they're just kind of like, what? Like... (laughs) Because it's just not, you know, it it taught me when we were naming my son not to tell anyone our ideas. <laughs> like we didn't say a word to anyone, not even my parents. We told no one that yeah. he was born and was there because people just don't know how to react to a name. You don't so, want judgment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the exact same feeling as when you're yeah. a kid. So my advice to anyone out there is if you ever find a writer and you ask them the name of their book, I don't care what it is. You say, that's fantastic. What a great title. That would like really help. <laughs> I read this story. It was, the pacing was perfect. Like chef's kiss. I like, it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel like it dragged on. It was like, I wasn't wanting for more. I didn't feel like there was too much information. And I just like, I really do wonder, is that, do you think kind of as a result of your school and like going to school specifically for writing, or do you kind of think you've always had a little bit of that knowledge? I think it's me. (laughs) Well, you know what? This is my thing. I am a huge proponent of books being entertaining. And I think that, especially as like a literary fiction, primarily a literary fictioner, I mean, I think my books kind of walk the line between commercial and literary. I think it's a big ask to ask people to sit down and read a book. It's an enormous amount of time to read a book. It doesn't really fit in great with our current kind of like lifestyles, like (laughs) just in general, everybody. To me, the the thing as a writer that you should always be working towards is like, how can I make this just be like delicious for the reader and <laughs> just like something they can totally go through and still get something out of it? You know, I mean, I definitely want, like I said, I'm a writer who thinks about theme. That's important to me. I write books because I am fascinated by parts of human nature um, and I have questions about them. So I, I do write books where you're thinking about things, but it has to be fast and easy to read to me or why you know like yeah. if you can't get people to read it then it doesn't even matter what's in it <laughs> you know like if it's not a joy to read and they're not going right through it I and mean, that's the biggest compliment um in my opinion as a writer is if someone's like I read your book in one sitting I read it really fast it was so good you know like overnight I was done you know that those are the kinds of things that mean that you're doing your job correctly I feel yeah. um because yeah, it's a it's a lot of work to read a book. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's, it's not like watching a movie where you take an hour and you know, I guess now they're longer, they're like three hours, but like three, yeah. <laughs> they're getting a little pushy in Hollywood with that <laughs> ask for people, right? Yeah, yeah. 
remember back in the day they had like the two separate VHS. Like Titanic. I remember that was like the first one I knew. Titanic was <laughs> yes. I was like, wow. <laughs> Don't you remember? And like when it came out, they like had news stories about how long it was and stuff. Now it's like the standard. It's like, if it's it not is. three hours, I don't want it. <laughs> it is. If you ever watch an older movie, especially like a rom-com that's like really light and shorter. I yeah. thought that was like really short, but it's great. I wish they would go back. I like, yeah. the, you know, it's I nice. like the shorter movies. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to reading, what, who are some of your influences? I mean, so many different people. I'm kind of, I think, well, no, I read a lot of literary fiction. I'm not, I, I kind of do stick to that for the most part. You know, someone who I really respected, who's like a, a huge fan of that is kind of probably an oddball one for me is uh, I'm a huge Tom Parada fan. Mm. I've read like all of his books. Um, I love the way he has kind of like that, um, you know, focal point of something in life. He'll take sort of like little moments and kind of, you know, magnetize them in such a nice way. And he talks a lot about like suburban life that I think can be really interesting and weird. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just adore him. I'm a huge Alana Ferrante fan. Um, Kind of who isn't. I feel like that's on yeah. the at this point. <laughs> but she's, I mean, she's so masterful. I can't, I can't even like, she's one of those people where you read her work and you just like, don't even understand um, what's going on. Like how someone can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Toni Morrison, I adore, mm-hmm. um, you know, the kind of, the quality to her books that I think is such a standout is that they do kind of last with you. Mm-hmm. I find the older I get, the more I'll read books and like forget them entirely, which is so terrible. But her books are not like that. Like they right. just stay with you in a very deep way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, what is there to say? Like, it's so stupid. I'd be like, <laughs> like don't but that's them. probably why her name comes up. Like when anytime right. you ask people that question, right. she is probably one of the people who you hear the most often, but right. Of course. I mean, she deserves it. It's just kind of an interesting thing to say because so many people say it, but it's totally the truth, you know? Um, yeah. And Anna Karenina is my favorite book. I read that as like a teenager. Mm -hmm. So it's like stayed with me in like a, (laughs) in like a deep way. Um, so shout out to Tolstoy. (laughs) So I know you have a new baby at all, but have you read anything recently? Like anything new that was really stood out to you? No, hundred <laughs> percent no, and I feel so bad about that. But uh, you know what? I just started reading that I've been enjoying, and this is a little different for me. Although no, that's not true because I do sometimes read these kind of books. But I'm actually reading Molly Shannon's memoir, mm-hmm. and I'm really enjoying it. That's a good thing to read with a baby because it's just like takes you out of you know reality. I'm reading like children's books yeah. and baby books that have one word a page because he's two months old, and that's okay. <laughs> I thought I'm going to read more because it's going to be like quiet in a way, like when he naps and like my child literally does not nap virtually at all. And so like where I thought I had the energy that I'm going to be reading more during this time in my life. Yeah. No. (laughs) So this this might kind of also be in the same vein as that, but with, so with Dial Press, you signed a two book deal. Yeah. And so this was the first of that two book deal. Yes. Have you started at all on the third one? Do you do you have a concept ready to go? I have. Um, yeah. The short answer is yes. The long answer <laughs> is no. Okay. There's like a long way to go with it. But I'm very excited about the third book. I think it's going to be a lot about um, jealousy in, in a way. Like mm-hmm. I feel like jealousy. I mean, that's like a very broad thing to say. Um, but yeah, I feel like we don't talk about jealousy and yet jealousy yeah. is such a huge part of like the fabric of our lives and our motivations as people. Mm-hmm. So it's really about like women's relationships and jealousy is like kind of, but there's obviously going to be a story <laughs> to go with that. There oh, is I'm a story, sure. but you know, 
I have no streamlined enough to explain yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that sounds great. Um, Is there anything that you want listeners to take away about how to fall out of love madly? I just hope that, you know, I, I feel the things I'm talking about in this book are things that we don't say out loud enough as women. These experiences, like I said, like we talked about with the poem that I think bring very deep loneliness to ourselves and to our lives. It's very lonely to feel like you love someone and they don't love you back the same or that you can't say to them. You can't be your truest, most open self Mm -hmm. to the person that you love in a way. Like that is a very lonely experience. And I think there's an enormous pressure to act like you are happy and that you don't struggle. And so we just kind of don't talk about it with each other. We kind of have to pretend that we're okay and that um, it's not painful. And I think that is something I hate. And Mm -hmm. I hope that this book at least makes women feel more connected to themselves. And like I said, hopefully other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And I also hope that it's just an enjoyable read. (laughs) Back to the entertainment level. Both things. I hope it is entertaining and kind of a nice escape on a summer day. Yeah. And, um, and I hope it, it, it makes you feel more like yourself, you know, yes. I've already told friends that they need to get this book. <laughs> You're August so great. Second, How to fall out of love madly. Yana Kasali. Thank you so much for this book. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for joining us. This was of great. Course. Of course. It was so wonderful to be here. So lovely to chat with you. Um, I, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another TBR Top Off, where we recommend books for you to pick up when you come in for your copy of How to Fall Out of Love Madly. I'm Becky. And I'm Mark. (laughs) And we are coming to you from our home store in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Please do. Wonderful. Okay, so for this book, I I thought of one that's a couple years old. It's called Next Year for Sure by Zoe Lee Peterson. And um, this is a book that just follows Catherine and Chris, who have been in a relationship for nine years, and it's a perfect relationship. Like, just one of those, like, (sighs) love stories for the ages where they just have their own secret language, they know what each other's thinking, they can complete each other's sentences. It's just, it's perfect. Um, And they tell each other everything, um, you know, and confide all of those secrets. They don't have any secrets, really. Um, And so it just, yeah, kind of this perfect relationship. Well, in one of their conversations, Chris uh, divulges to Catherine that he is interested in a woman that he has met and has seen a few times at the laundromat. And uh, her name is Emily. And Catherine, thinking, you know, I'm very secure in, in our relationship and wanting to give Chris any freedoms that he may want. Um, she encourages him to go on a date with this girl. Yeah. And, um, what happens next is something that none of them saw coming. And so basically the book then follows the year after this and, um, the resulting, (laughs) oh, um, things that occur. It's, 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 uh, it's a lot, but what I love about this book is that it explores love. Um, and it just explores kind of the, the complexity, all of the good and the bad um, yeah. that, you know, that come with that. And I mean, love is complicated and confusing and just 
just this unique, strange little thing that if you find it, you want to hold on to it. And, and this book kind of, you know, looks at that and then, well, what if, what if you opened it up? And then what will happen? So anyway, it's a good one. I really highly recommend it. Like I said, it is called uh, Next Year for Sure by Zoe Lee Peterson. Mark, what do you have for us? Oh, nice choice. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Um, So I chose a novel that came across my radar a while ago and I fell in love immediately. Um, It is called Real Life by the incredible Brandon Taylor. Um, so quick pitch, um, there is a lonely gay black student in Alabama named Wallace who is moving to the Midwest for university. That's the quick pitch, but the book is so much more and so layered and so brilliant and so, so well-written. <laughs> um, so Taylor's writing is, is why you should sign up for this. Um, it pulls you into this character in a way that just makes you feel and sense the things that Wallace is feeling and sensing. It's very, very immersive in a way that I haven't experienced before. Um, He just zooms in so, so well, but he's also very talented at zooming out because Wallace is so desperately lonely and so isolated um, by his own doing and by circumstances. Um, he really pushes himself to insert his life into every detail and aspect of his surroundings. So you get the zoom in, you get the interior, but then you get this exterior that he is a part of. And it they change hands so deftly. I, I really have not read anything like this before. It's a very vulnerable book. It's tender. Um, and it really explores the way that you can occupy the same space as another individual and be completely invisible to them. And um, Wallace is somebody who just feels so invisible when he is running through these circles uh, and really should be standing out because he's so, so lovely and kind and good and smart. And the fact that he isn't getting any recognition, you know, as far as how he sees it is really so unfortunate, but it's so full of hope and it's beautiful. Please, please, please check out Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Oh, it's so good. Oh God, it sounds like heartbreaking. It I'm is, just... but in a beautiful way. Oh, you know, right. I love a heartbreaker. Uh, you, uh, I love you, a heartbreaker. Mark is addicted to them, really. Actually, I am. Right it's true. Well, so that is all that we have for today. Um, thank you for tuning in. Um, Please rate and subscribe when you get a chance so that you never miss an episode. Um, And you can always follow us at Barnes & Noble. Um, I'm Becky. And I'm Mark. You can follow us at our home store at BN Westchester. And I think that's it. I think that's it. Thank you, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.